Man, uh, I'm so excited that you're here today. Welcome to Aspen Grove and to a, to a whole new year. Uh, I'm excited for what God's got in store for us for, for this year. Uh, I hope it gets a little bit warmer. Somebody told me it's getting warmer maybe this next week. So I'm, I'm okay with cold, but I'm ready. Like, who are you ready to have it a little bit warmer? Yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely pray for that. Um, so today's going to be a little bit different. We've been in a, a teaching series out of Matthew, and we're going we're gonna to stay in that place. The, Matthew is all about kings and kingdoms, and you, you see that kind of, even in Jesus, the, the big moments of Matthew are, are uh, uh, Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, and I love the New Living Translation, it adds the word soon. Like, like this is Jesus' focus, is this kingdom focus in Matthew. Uh, even uh, if there is one verse, one line in Matthew, that's kind of the, the penultimate verse or theme of the entire gospel of Matthew, it would be, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously. So Matthew is, is thinking about kings and kingdoms and, and everything is directed that way. But I want to take a step back and, and kind of go back to the beginning and introduce you to Matthew. Matthew, the, the apostle, Matthew, the author. But I want, I want to do it in a little bit of a different way. And, and I want to show you some paintings today. So uh, uh, go ahead and put that first painting up there. Uh, I know like... Um, uh, I can't get our trustees to, to front the like 15 grand it would cost to get us an HD projector. Uh, so if anyone wants to write a check, like, like we would really benefit from an HD projector today. But so, so bear with us. Uh, I want to introduce you to, to you some paintings and at the same time introduce you to the gospel of Matthew again. Uh, this painting is called The Taking of Christ. Um, it was actually lost for, for several hundred years until just uh, being discovered again in Dublin. 16th, uh, 16th century painting. Uh, do you, anyone want to guess the artist? It is Michelangelo, but not the one you're, you're thinking of. Not the Sistine Cha Chapel Michelangelo, but uh, Michelangelo Caravaggio. And uh, he actually introduces uh, the artist Caravaggio actually introduces himself in this painting. Uh, on the far left is, we think, St. John, kind of being protective of Jesus, who is obviously next to him. And then the one giving Jesus the kiss or coming in for a kiss is Judas, followed by we have two soldiers, and there in the corner is the artist. does a self-portrait of himself. He does a portrait of himself. Caravaggio is, uh, is uh, considered a master, master painter of the Baroque style of painting. And I want you to just kind of suck this in. To, I'll, t I'll tell you a little bit. And this is new territory for me. I'm not an expert in art or any of this kind of stuff. So uh, excuse any, any mistakes. But the Baroque style of, of painting emphasizes realism. So like all of the characters look real. They look like real life men and women. Men and women, uh, they have lots of drama in them. Like, even in this scene, like, can you sense the emotion? Can you feel the emotion? There's intensity and, and, and movement. They often have, uh, the Baroque style has bright colors, uh, but also contrasted with, like, almost murkiness. And so, like, the artist is being really careful to, 
to light, enlighten, highlight really specific areas. And then the others are kind of lost in this murkiness. Uh, uses a, a strong use of shadow and light. Do you see like there is light that comes in from one side of the painting and kind of lights in a really specific direction? Usually that light, if the, the painting incorporates Jesus, the light emanates from him or around him and lights up others. You see how Caravaggio's face is enlightened by the face of Jesus. See how this happens? So I think this is pretty interesting stuff because I grew up in the Church of Christ and I love the Church of Christ, don't, don't get me wrong, but we didn't have cool paintings or statues or, or any of that kind of stuff. And so, so this, is, this is really interesting for me. What I want you to see uh, uh, and know about Caravaggio, the enlightened face in this picture is... Um, that he was an incredibly popular painter. He was sought after. Uh, even, even the popes would, would commission him for paintings in Rome and Naples and Malta. Um, and he was incredibly successful, except for the fact that he handled it really, really poorly. Uh, he was jailed uh, on several occasions. Uh, he was caught vandalizing apartments. Uh, he was a womanizer, but the thing Caravaggio, other than his paintings, the, the thing he was known for the most was that he was a brawler or a fighter. It, would, it was said of Caravaggio that, that he picked a, a fight in every city he lived in, uh, and he was even accused of killing a man in, in one city. Uh, he lived a tumultuous life and uh, died mysteriously at the age of 38. Now, some say his death is disputed. Some say that uh, he died as a result of fever, but others close to him are sure that his death was at the hands of somebody he had picked a fight with, at the hands of some enemy. And I think this painting, The Taking of Christ, uh, teaches us a couple of really important, uh, uh, important things, some about Caravaggio, the artist himself. And the one thing is, where does Caravaggio position himself in this painting? You see John on the left of Jesus, uh, almost in defense of Jesus. And on the right side of Jesus are Judas and soldiers and Caravaggio. There's some ambiguity for sure, and that's part of the Baroque style of paintings. But what I want you to see is that Caravaggio positions himself not alongside one of the saints, but positions himself alongside one of the most notorious traitors in history. Caravaggio positions himself with Jesus' accusers. He positions himself with Jesus. Caravaggio positions himself on the side of sinners. In Rome, there is a, a small church called San Luigi de Francisci. I, I have a picture of it. It's a, I think it's fascinating that there, there are probably people in Rome today meeting in this place, and we have black curtains, but they have Caravaggio hanging on the wall next to them. I think that's, uh, I'm actually kind of jealous of that. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. And in this small church, uh, Caravaggio was commissioned uh, to do a, a trilogy of paintings, to do three, three paintings in a special nook, a special chapel. Go ahead, I'll, I'll show that picture. 
Uh, I know it's kind of dark, but these are, these are three of Caravaggio's most famous paintings. And uh, I know maybe it looks small to you, but these paintings are about 11 feet by 10 feet. They're ten, as high as a basketball goal. Like, like these are massive, huge paintings. And these trilogy of paintings uh, are all about the life of Matthew the life of St. Matthew. So I want to talk to you about these paintings and at the same time talk to you about Matthew and his gospel. The very center painting is called The Inspiration of St. Matthew, and here is what it looks like uh, a little bit closer up. Uh, it's a little bit interesting about this painting. Again, I have to look all this up. I'm no, I'm no expert. Uh, but this, uh, this painting of Matthew's inspiration was actually Caravaggio's third painting. Uh, third painting. The uh, his second, his first painting was actually rejected uh, by the Pope by by the um, by the Church for being too risque. Uh, it it had a picture of an angel. Almost uh, see the angel and Matthew are separate here. But in the, his first attempts, in Caravaggio's first attempts, the angel is is snuggled up next to Matthew. Uh, his second attempt was, uh, was actually destroyed, and it, had a, it was a little bit different. It had an angel snuggled up next to Matthew, and you could see the angel was almost whispering in Caravaggio's ear. And that painting actually was, kind of it was actually destroyed in World War II. You guys seen that movie about art and artwork being destroyed and captured. And so this is actually a, a, another piece that, that is used, and... Um, this is all about Matthew's inspiration. So let's talk about the Gospel of Matthew. So we have, we have four stories of Jesus' life from four different authors, from four different perspectives. And while Matthew is the author, I just want to remind you that, that even Scripture says of itself that, that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. What I love about this painting is the way that, that Caravaggio positions Matthew. So you see this angel, this divine being, the, the messenger of God delivering the gospel of Matthew, the words of Matthew to Matthew himself, and you see that Matthew is, uh, I don't know if you can pick it out, but like he's kind of anxiously leaning over his desk, right? Like he's not, he's not just kind of ho-hum recording something. Even, even the stool he's on is teetering in, in kind of expectation. It, it lets you know that, that what Matthew was recording was meaningful and important. The second painting and the one we'll spend the majority of our time on today. In that church in Rome, in that trilogy of painting, the, on the left-hand side is a painting called The Call of St. Matthew. Again, you see the Baroque style. Do you see it like the dark spaces, the shadowy spaces, uh, juxtaposed with, with light? The characters look real life, and there's emotion and action in this scene. And I just want you to soak this painting in as, as I read the autobiographical account from Matthew chapter 9. 
Here's what it says. Jesus was walking along and he saw a man named Matthew. Matthew's writing this about himself. Jesus was walking along and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. In verse 10 it says, Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? I think it's pretty fascinating that Matthew's recording this about his own experience in the word uh, this word sinner Matthew invited Jesus Matthew was this sinner sitting at his tax collector booth Matthew was friends with dis- other disreputable sinners and yet Jesus came and met with them this this word sinner literally it's it's kind of a word that means that means missing the mark or, or falling short they they Matthew fell short of the Pharisees' expectations and the Sadducees, he, he fell short of the church's expectations and God's expectations, like, like he was this sinner. If you look carefully at the painting, you see Jesus on the far right. Do you see him? Light coming over his shoulder with, we think, Simon Peter standing next to him. Notice how the light illuminates the face of all who look at Jesus. Literally, the, the light is brought by Christ into a dark place as the painting records the collision of two worlds. I know it's hard to see, but uh, Jesus and Peter are actually both barefoot, dressed in very, very simple garb, compared with the accountants around the table, right? Shoes dressed nicely, uh, one... Uh, uh, one commentator said that they were the dandified accountants. I think that fits perfect. But here you have the, the holiness of God meeting the sinfulness of man, the holiness of Jesus, and the scum of humanity collide. And strikingly, Jesus lifts his finger in Matthew's direction. We've seen the finger of God before on the Sistine Chapel, like on the ceiling, right? You remember that picture of the finger of God reaching out to humanity? Like it's, the, it's the same kind of idea, and Caravaggio is probably paying some homage to that. The finger of God extends toward Adam, and here the finger of Jesus extends towards Matthew and this, is, this, this creates confusion in the scene. Do you see that? Like Jesus is raising, extending his finger to point to someone, but who is he pointing to? Is he pointing to the young man? Or is he pointing to Matthew? And Matthew in this painting is the bearded guy the one who raises his finger and points to himself as if to say, who, me? Like, it's that expression, that, that moment of, of, of surprise 
and curiosity at being chosen, like, like, like that, that who me finger pointed at self-expression is, is the perfect place to begin the gospel of Matthew. It's where Matthew's story begins. So who is the gospel of Matthew 4? Um, if you've read the if you've read Matthew's gospel, it's kind of the flagship of of the four gospels. Probably the the Jesus you know or most familiar with the teaching of Jesus you know are probably from Matthew's gospel, from his writings, from from his experience. And Matthew's gospel is is a heavily heavily Jewish book. Even at the very beginning, it begins with a genealogy. It begins with prophecies. It begins looking back. It's, it's seeking to make this connection between the Old Testament faith from, from the faith of the tribe of Israel and, and make this connection with Jesus. Um, some have even said that, that Matthew is this gospel for the Jews. And, and no doubt Matthew's gospel is, is very Jewish, even when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples in Matthew gospel, he tells them to go specifically to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Matthew's gospel is for the Jew, no question about it. But that's not all. Because Matthew's gospel is also the gospel most heavily inclusive of the Gentile now, maybe you don't know that word or you're not familiar with it, but the word Gentile is, is from the word ethnos. It just means uh, we get the word ethnicity from it. A Gentile is everyone else. Um, when Jesus will later say every tribe and tongue and nation and people like, like that's a Gentile. It is this incredible expanse of humanity. And while Matthew's gospel is the most Jewish, it's also the most Gentile. Jesus teaches in Matthew that, that the gospel is to be preached to the whole world, to all nations, to all ethnicities. So who is Matthew's audience? Who is he recording these events for? Who is, who is Matthew's gospel for? As he sat down and wrote these words, who is his audience? Who is he thinking about and considering? And I think the answer is found actually in, in Caravaggio's painting. I think Caravaggio gets it. It's demonstrated in Jesus' call of Matthew. Because Matthew is uh, Zacchaeus. You guys remember that story? He was a tax collector, and, the, and a tax collector is, is, would be like a traitor, uh, a, a collaborator. Uh, at this time, like the, the ancient Near East is ruled by a Roman Empire. Imagine if the kingdom of Isis was in control of America, and we had to live under their rule. That's what it would feel like, maybe. And Matthew, to get a leg up in pursuit of wealth and personal gain, collaborated with the enemy to get a really specific role. And the way this worked is that tax collectors would, would bid with the government to, to get the job as tax collectors. He's not collecting taxes for the Jews, but to collect taxes for the Roman government. 
And if you won the job, then you would set with the Roman government exactly how much taxes you would collect for them. Now, the trick was that the rest of the people had no idea how, many, how much or what that, what that arrangement was. So the tax collector could collect as much as he wanted, pay Rome the agreed upon portion, and keep the rest for himself. Do you see how this works? And the tax collectors would set up their booths, their tables. They would find the busiest trade routes, the busiest areas, and they would take their booths or tables and set up right in the middle of the street and just begin to call people to their table and arbitrarily collect taxes. They were scum. Nobody had anything good to say about Matthew. Disreputable sinners, every one, not to be associated with. If you saw that booth, you're going to take a right or a left. You're going to take any side street you can to get away from them. Yet it is this traitor sinner that Jesus extends his finger towards. Do you see how important this moment is? The sinner, the scum, is exactly who Jesus chooses. When Jesus heard the Pharisees complaining, why is he eating with such gum? This is what Jesus said. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. He said, I want you to go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Pope Francis said he often went to the San Luigi Church in Rome even as a young man, and he would go and he would sit in front of this painting and contemplate. He would think about Christ's outstretched arm and, and Matthew's response. And Pope Francis said this, when, when sitting in front of that painting, thinking about it and contemplating its meaning, Pope Francis himself said, this is me, a sinner, on whom the Lord has turned his gaze. The power of Matthew's gospel. I want, you to, I want you to think about this. The power of Matthew's gospel is found in who it is for. Matthew's gospel is, is not for good church folk dressed in our, your Sunday finest. It's not. Matthew's gospel is, is not for the sacred walls of the church, but it's for the dirty tables of the disreputable. 
It's not for those who, who believe they are righteous or holy, it's, but it's for dark alleys. It's, it's a gospel for prostitutes and adulterers and liars and thieves. It's, it's for violent and wicked artists like Caravaggio. It's, it's for tax collectors and traitors. It's not a gospel for the saint, but for the sinner. And I hate that today, even now, sometimes our, our churches have rep- reputations of, of, man, this is everyone that goes to church. They've got it together. They've got their life together. They're, they've figured stuff out. You know, like, and, and I hate that because that's not the gospel. It's not. It's not Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel is for sinful people like you and and like me. Matthew is for those who are surprised by the call of Jesus. Do you get that? Like Jesus should have called anyone else. And yet he calls Matthew. Matthew's gospel is for those who relate to the name scum for everyone who has ever felt unworthy or unwanted. Are you sensing the power of Matthew's gospel now? And as we enter this story over, over the next few weeks, and, and I, I want you to know that, that to read these words correctly is, is, is to read them in the right context. And, and that context Context is that, that every one of us over the course of Matthew's gospel, as you open these words, maybe you've read it a hundred times, as you open these words, every single one of us should have the exact same reaction that Matthew has in this painting. Every one of us should have this reaction of, who, me? That Christ has come for you. I love that Matthew tells the story of a Jesus who has not come for the healthy, but for the sick, who willingly enters into our darkness, into our sin, comes at our lowest, at our most shameful, bringing with him the light of God. Matthew tells the story of a Jesus who with outstretched finger calls you and me, calls shameful scum like us, to come and follow him. I want to share one more painting with you just as we wrap up our time together. In that chapel in Rome, the 10 foot tall paintings on the right hand side is Caravaggio's last painting of Matthew. at the end of Jesus' outstretched finger. Not only do we we find ourselves sinners and scum, but at the end of Jesus' outstretched finger, we also find our mission. Are you with me? Okay, maybe not. This last painting of Caravaggio is of Matthew's death. 
The legend is that Matthew is this once sinful scum, tax collector, trader, collaborator. After being called by Jesus, left everything and followed him. And this painting is of Matthew's death. Legend is that he was sharing the gospel with an Ethiopian king who had him put to death. And I want you to see that that moment that Jesus extended his finger and called Matthew, like the the moment Jesus called Matthew out, it changed his life forever. It was a call so powerful that he was willing to give up even his own life for it. And as a church today, I just want to remind you Like I said, at the end of Jesus' finger, we should find ourselves. But at the end of Jesus' finger, we should also find our mission. Who do you know that's disreputable? Who do you know that is unsafe or hurtful or unkind? Who do you know that's the traitor or the collaborator? Because in that person, you find the mission of Matthew, the mission of God. And our mission is to say, yes, I am a sinner, but it's, our mission is also to enter the dark places, the shadows of our world, with the light of God. Remember what Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. And I'm not concerned so much with your sacrifices as I am with mercy. As 2018 begins, I want to remind us as a church of our mission. I love that we sit next to each other, men and women of faith, uh, Christians, a place of encouragement and accountability as we help each other grow as followers of Jesus Christ. And, and as we do that, I, I hope we never lose that, that, that part of that, man, I am a sinful scum. I, I have sinned. Like I was enslaved to sin. That was who I was. I was the worst of the worst. And yet Christ came and called me and redeemed me. And I hope that becomes our mantra in our life. And I hope you're reminded of that. And in that, that call of Jesus, I hope that you can again discover your mission. And that is to take the message of Christ, the light of God, to our friends and neighbors, every, to every person who thinks they are unworthy of the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It is who we are and it is our mission. In just a moment, I'll say a prayer, and I want to dismiss you to a time of communion. And we have the table set around the room. It's a great place to, uh, to repent and ask for forgiveness. It's a great place to be reminded again, hopefully, of our mission. Uh, join with him in his death, in Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Accept everything that he has to offer you. And move into his purpose. Matthew is for the scum. For the sinner. And so must we be.
Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, for its power. Father God, I pray that uh, that each and every one of us would 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 feel the the finger of of your son Jesus extended towards us. And Father God, that's such a humbling place to to be called, to be chosen. Father God, we. we we need to be reminded that, man, we, we, haven't, we haven't done anything worthy of your son choosing us and giving his life, life for us. And so, Father God, give us this, this great awareness of, of what it means to be chosen by you. And, and Father God, as, as help us to accept and forgive ourselves and accept the forgiveness that, that your son Jesus offers. And Father God, help us, though, to, to move beyond that. Let our, let our forgiveness and all the life that we have received from your son Jesus, let that life propel us to our friends and neighbors, to our coworkers, let us move into this world with the intention and the purpose of Jesus. Let us pursue the sick and the lowly. Let us have the same heart Jesus had to move into the dark places and share the light of life. Father God, that's I'm, I'm not capable of doing that out of my own strength. And so, God, we, we need your spirit to be active and alive in us. Father God, we love you. Thank you so much for the, the life of Jesus, the example of Jesus, and for his death, his burial, and resurrection. Thank you, God, again for Jesus. And it's in his name that everyone together says, amen. I invite you to stand and enjoy time of communion together.